0: Thank <laughs> you. morning. Uh, my name is Tim Heist. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Timberline, Windsor. Uh, so glad you're with us today. Traditions. Thanks for joining us. We are excited to continue our Tripadvisor series. Um, as I said, I'm the middle school, high school pastor, and I'm honored to serve students. It is amazing. Um, there's never a dull moment. There's always something going on. Um, as I speak in middle school, people get up and move um, all the time. So if your seat If you're like, I'm not feeling this seat, feel free. Just get up, find another, I will feel right at home. Um, But it is amazing to see what God does in the lives of our students. I'm so glad to be at a church that believes in students. Um, We have great families, great leaders that have given their lives, uh, many of them like 10 to 15 hours a week. ...to seeing students transformed by the love of God. So it's just amazing. Student ministry. Students, it, it's 8.30 and you may be sleeping. Any middle school, high school students out there, give me a wave. Yeah, there's a couple. Proud of you guys for being drug here this morning. Um, good to be together. We're going to continue our Tripadvisor series. Um, we have, I should say this first. Um, tonight in high school, we do an event called Slipping Kick. Um, slip and Slide Kickball. Mash it together. If you are in high school, you're going to want to be there, 7 o'clock. If you're interested in working with high school students, put your swim trunks on and, and come on by. We'd love to show you what we're doing. We're going to continue our Tripadvisor series. Um, before we do, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about how I got to Timberline. Um, in 2008, I was finishing my undergrad in youth ministry pastoral counseling at a school called Valley Forge Christian College in eastern Pennsylvania. Um, I actually grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So the Hershey Kiss thing, there's, there's purpose. I grew up there, um, finishing my my degree there, and had to do a three-month internship. My wife at the time was finishing her psychology degree. Um, We loved hiking. We loved getting outside, and she came up with this brilliant idea. Um, I think I'm going to go do my internship in Colorado. Um, Like every good boyfriend at the time, yeah, me too, of course, Um, (laughs) right? Yeah, of course. So I went to our... um, I went to our advisor, our internship advisor, and sat down and said, hey, uh, what churches are we partnered with in Colorado? And he got down, he looked at the book, and he opened it up, and he said, well, there's just one. Um, it's in Fort Collins. I don't even know where that is. It's called Timberline Church. And I, Great. Um, so I email, I email the pastor here at Timberline, and they placed me. I am so thankful um, that it was Fort Collins. And it wasn't a city that starts with a B and ends with an ER. Um, if you hate me already, it's okay. Um, I'm used to it. It's fine. Um, right. So I come to Fort Collins. Um, if you're from Boulder, we love you. It's okay. Um, come to Fort Collins, had a great internship. Uh, we went home, proposed to my wife here that summer. We go home in 2009. Uh, we got married, finished school, moved to Colorado, got a dog and and started new careers in like 18 days. Um, It was a busy it was a busy 18 days, but we are so thankful to be here Um, My wife her name is Melissa last week. We got to go hike maroon bells. So we have a picture Um, She's just beautiful The mountains are as well. So we had a great time up there Um, It was rainy and they say you should take a rain jacket when you hike you should Um, I I Didn't I don't know. Um But here we are, so thankful to be here this morning. Um, Like I said, I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It does smell like chocolate. Um, Great loving family there, thankful for them. My wife's family, they have seven kids. Grew up in the greater Harrisburg-Hershey area there. Um, Lots of in-laws and siblings and dogs and cats and lizards and the whole thing. Um, But this trip advisor got me thinking a lot on when we look at it, why do we look today? We're going to look at a story where we're going to see in a way, a narrative that Jesus was telling a story that helped advise people. I think it'll advise us today. Who uses TripAdvisor? Any TripAdvisor users? Okay. We've been asking that question. You're probably like, yeah, you've asked me that. Um, any Yelpers, Yelpers out there, a couple, yeah, the young couple of the younger crowd, um, any Google reviews. I use Google Maps on my iPhone. So I use those reviews a lot. Um, I learned my lesson pretty quickly to keep using TripAdvisor. Uh, My wife and I, once we moved out here to Colorado, we were like, we got to go see Mount Rushmore. We have to. So we went. We tripadvisor would the whole thing to the point of, like, to the campsite. So we called the campground. Hey, we want campsite, whatever. It's down by the river. Perfect. It was shaded. The grass was beautiful. Every morning they did trail rides, and they would drive the horses right past our campsite. It was awesome. Um, also learned my lesson of when not to use TripAdvisor. Um, we decided to take a trip a few years ago after work. We both finished up, and we we're like, "Man, let's just go camp." Um, you don't always want to camp in the campground that's available, right? So we go down, we shoot down I-25 a few hours. It's dark. We get set up. I'm kicking myself for not planning ahead, reading the reviews. We get there. Um, it's late. I'm tired. We just we lay down. We go to sleep. Um, And we realize, I lean over to my wife, and I go, man, I-25 is pretty loud. (laughs) And we're camping maybe 300 yards. And, you you know, you're laying there, and you're like, it's okay. Tim, go to sleep. You're fine. Like, you're fine. So I'm trying, you're trying to, and the trucks just keep getting louder and louder and louder. Well, we realize, um, I lean over, and I'm like, we're staying. I'm pretty stubborn, if you know me. Um, I'm pretty stubborn, so I'm like, we're staying. Um, I'm going to try to go to sleep. You do the whole, like, relax my feet relax my hands trying to go to sleep well we realized that within 50 yards of this campsite there's a tree line the tree line is hiding a train track um 1 30 in the morning right <laughs> thank you you're welcome 1:30 in the morning uh, this train just goes ripping through it's like it's shaking the tent top of the tent it's, it's unbelievable and i lean over and i'm like you up Great, oh yeah. All the husbands are like, "You're an idiot." Of course, she's up. Um, yeah, we were up. We had the okay. We'll give it 30 more minutes. It's 1:30 in the morning. I'm stubborn. Not doing the hotel. We're camping. Um, well, wouldn't you know? We find out we're about a mile um, from an air force base, um, <laughs> and apparently, there's these airplanes called C-130s. Yeah right over the side. I could see the lights blinking through the top of our tent, going down. It was unreal. TripAdvisor, it's a big deal. It's important. We realize when we don't use it, we pay the price. We realize that when we do, the trip can be great. Today, we're going to look at this narrative. It's a narrative where Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is a little story with a big meaning. And there's three groups there. Okay, you have Jesus, Son of God, fully man, fully God, human, divine. We also see the two groups that were with him. Okay, we have the Pharisees, and we have what the text calls sinners. This is in Luke 15, if you want to turn there, Pharisees and sinners. And the Pharisees of that day were the religious leaders. In a sense, they were kind of like religious lawyers. They would point fingers at people. They would say, hey, you can't do that. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't pick that up on this certain day. You can't say this. You have to do it this way. And the Pharisees would live their life in a way that they would try to obey every law. They would try to get God's attention by doing what they were supposed to do. The other group there, the sinners, right? And the sinners, it's a tough word. Okay, it's a churchy word. I don't like the word because of all the connotations that people have with it. But the sinners were there. And the sinners, knowingly or not, were people separated from God. Okay, there are people that were probably living their life in the best way they knew how possible. No faith. No hope in that time, the Jewish God, Yahweh. No hope, no faith in Jesus, the Son of God. And they would live their life the best way possible. they look to fill that void, self-fulfillment, pleasure, whatever it looks like. Not trying to paint a poor picture of who they are. It's just the reality. Pharisees, sinners, Jesus. So Jesus goes on. Cool thing about this passage is it goes right to us. Right to us. And he goes on and he's sitting down. And he says, suppose you, okay, he didn't say, suppose there was this other person. He says, suppose you, draws us right in, drew them right in. So today, I'm going to throw it out to you, throw it out to me. Suppose you are a shepherd, okay, I'll fill in the gap. You're in the field, you got lots of sheep, you have a crook, because that's what you carry, right? And you would take care of these sheep. You would feed them, you would care for them, you would protect them, you would guide them. The story goes on. Jesus says, suppose you have a hundred sheep. Okay, one of them wanders off, you now have 99 sheep, not a math major, 99 sheep. What do you do? Right? Well, I picture myself sitting there. Okay, I got two options. 1%, not a big deal. Cut the loss. Sheep, you're welcome. Wolves, you're welcome coyotes. Enjoy it. Right? The other option would be, okay, um, I leave these sheep here. Maybe there's someone else I trust. Maybe not. I leave them here and I go and I look for the one. Jesus comes back. Of course. You're going to search. You're going to leave your sheep. You're going to search. You're going to find it. And when you find it, you're going to celebrate and thank God that you found your sheep. He goes on. Suppose a woman, okay, for us, suppose you, you have 10 silver coins, and you lose one of them, okay? Math, 10%. What are you going to do? Are you going to cut your loss? Are you going to say, "That's ah, it's 10%, it's okay? Or are you going to search for the coin? Jesus says, you're going to search. You're going to light a lamp in your house. You're going to search. You're going to find. And when you find, you're going to call all your friends and you're going to celebrate. Of course you're going to search. You're going to find. It's really interesting what this sets up. It sets up a lot of really cool things about the character of God. The character of Jesus and how our lives and his character slam together and collide. If you want to grab your bulletin, we're going to begin to kind of walk through that. Um, Number one on there, Jesus seeks and he saves. In this story, it's really interesting that in each of them that someone went and they looked. Someone went and they looked. The thing that they were looking for was important. It was valuable. It was 1%. Who cares? It was 10%. Who cares? They went and they looked. Jesus does the same thing. I'm going to make the step to us. He does the same thing. He seeks and he saves. He doesn't stay in heaven. He's not a deistic God that created everything, stepped out, and looks at us and says, I hope you find your way back. He steps in, he seeks, and he saves, just like the shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11 is a great picture of how God is a shepherd to us. He cares for us. He reaches out to us. He looks after us. He seeks and he saves us. Something really cool with the value of this. That we're important, we're valuable. The 1%. Cut your loss, move on. But I'm thankful that God doesn't cut losses. He doesn't say it's fine. He goes after every single person. He seeks and he saves. He takes time to say you're important, you're valuable. In our culture, it's really tough. right? I see it all the time in our students' lives, almost painfully. Okay, Maybe you've seen this in your kids' lives, you've felt this in your life, that our culture sets up that you're not important. You're not valuable. You don't matter. You're not beautiful. You're just the 1% over there. Nobody cares. Um, Today, I would want to remind you that God cares. You are important. You are valuable. You do matter. You are beautiful. And God seeks you. He wants to know who you are. Number two, Jesus engages with those not interested in him. Jesus engages with those not interested in him. As we think about this, Something really cool happens. We'll see this even more in the third story, right? The lost son. And we'll see how Jesus wants to engage with his people that don't even know him. Right? There's a passage that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't even know. Right? Think back. Pharisees, sinners. Pharisees knew. Sinners didn't know. Even then. Even then they mattered. Jesus engages with those not interested in him. I'm reminded of the hope that this brings. The hope this brings for some family, some friends that might not know Christ at this time. That may not have that hope. That may be living that life of the void, of self-fulfillment, of missing out. But I'm reminded that even there, we can trust that God's going to pursue them. Just like the sheep that wanders off. Just like the coin that's lost. That God's going to pursue. And God's going to find. And when he finds, he's going to celebrate. Um, for us today, a couple thoughts. A couple thoughts in this beginning passage. One is celebration. My wife and I—she's not here, so I can say anything. Um, well, apparently this is recorded. Um, my wife and I don't celebrate very well. We have a joke that, like, on our birthdays, like some people do birthdays really well. You do. My mom did birthdays really. Like, I'd wake up. There's balloons. Eat a cupcake for breakfast. It's your birthday, right? Moms do that. It's great. Um, My wife and I don't celebrate well. We have a little joke that on our birthdays we end up saying like, It's your birthday. Yay. (laughs) Right? And it's like, What? It is your birthday? That's not a birthday card. It's not right. We don't celebrate well. The same way I think Jesus was was directly talking to the people here. He's directly talking to the religious, the churchgoers today. Do we celebrate? Do we take time to pause and say, God, you did this? God, you searched, you found, I will celebrate. In my life, there's been milestones where I look back and I don't celebrate. I look back and I see this that Jesus engaged, maybe through a conversation of a mentor, a friend, maybe through a pastor. I think back in 2001, I was 13, don't even know the speaker's name, and there's just, there just a spot of time where I'm like, God, it was like a fingerprint that God took his fingerprint and just smacked me in the face. Do we celebrate? Church families, if you call yourself a church family, do you celebrate? Do you celebrate what God's done in your life, what he's done in our church life, what he's done in our community? Um, I take way too much credit for what God's doing. And sometimes I just need to stop and I need to celebrate, just like they did in this passage. Um, Moving to the third story, um, we move on to this lost son, two brothers, a father, a family, Um, And we're going to pick it up in Luke 15. If you'd like to join me, Luke 15, verse 11. I just got water all over my Bible. All right. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. We'll pause here. Son goes to the dad. Hey, dad, know it's early. Know this happens when you're dead but we'll just assume that you're dead to me because I don't care. Give me my chunk of the money. That's the reality of what's happening. The word in Greek for um, for that money piece, that inheritance, is bios. okay? Life, lifeblood, the thing that provided for the family, it was probably the accumulated net worth of the father. If you're into math, if you're into finance, do some study on this. It's likely he sold what he had, parts of it. Maybe he took a loan. It hurt. It was probably 30 to 40 some, percent. Some people would say the older brother got like two-thirds. The younger brother got a third traditionally in culture. There's extra biblical, meaning stuff not printed in the Bible, Jewish tradition that said never do that. Dads, do not do it. If your son comes to you and says you're dead to me, give me your money, don't do it. The father, for whatever reason, he does it. Maybe to keep a relationship one day with his son. Maybe to keep the peace. Maybe because he didn't know what else to do. We don't know, but he did it. Pick it up in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country. That citizen sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Remember Jewish? He's talking to the Pharisees here. Major no-no. You don't work for somebody else. You don't feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one had given him anything. We pick up the story. We see a son that's incredibly distant from the father. We see a son that's in pain. He's in hurt. He doesn't know where to turn. He goes and he looks to fulfill his life in whatever way he can. What's going to give me the most enjoyment today What's going to help me ignore my family today? How can I have the best life today? And he went. He finds himself working for a distant family, feeding pigs, which in that day were unclean, filthy, disgusting. They didn't eat them. They didn't touch them. They weren't around them. There's actually laws in that day that if a Jewish person would touch a pig, they'd have to go through all these rituals because it was an unclean animal. The famine hits. He spends all his money. It's got no food. I picture him this, laying in a pig pen, just wanting to eat the pig's food. He hits rock bottom. And it's almost like a light bulb comes on and he goes, wait a sec. Um, I need to come up with a plan. And I need to do something about it. He comes up with a plan, right? Comes up with a plan that he's going to go home. He's going to talk to his father and he's going to say, hey, I can pay off this debt that I've wasted. I can make everything right. Um, just hire me like one of, your, one of your hired people. There's something great about going home. In all of us, we're built to go home. In all of us, there's this desire to go home. I think about my home. I think about Hershey. I think about the cornfields and the cows that smell terrible but make beautiful chocolate. Well, the cow, they help. I guess they don't make. And I think of this draw for home. I think of people that are all about their area code, right? Tennessee, I have a great friend from Tennessee. I say vols, and he's like, woo, he's in, right? And what they did is they actually changed their area code to spell out vols, Tennessee vols. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's funny, but it's unbelievable. I'm from Pennsylvania, so I don't know. Area codes have a huge draw. There's songs, right? 212, the 970, there's no songs. Right? And all these things. That, but home draws us. There's something there. For me, home draws me. When well, my wife and I go on trips, we come up C-470 coming home from the airport. You go just in that little bend to the right, and the mountains are there. And you're like, we're home. And then you drive up I-25, right? But they're mountains. They call us. They're there. They're home. Something great about going home. We pick it up, Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Completely unexpected. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I picture him walking home, saying to himself, this is what I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to say. I hope my dad comes out and talks to me. I hope my dad's home and willing. I hope he doesn't just say, keep on marching. I hope my dad comes out and talks to me. In my life, I've set so many expectations on who I think God is that are unrealistic. I take times that I've screwed up and I've said, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. I hope God listens. I hope God hears me. And we see from this passage an incredible picture of who God is. An incredible picture of that the Father, our Father, picks up His robe He sprints out to us, throws his arms around us, and welcomes us home. Number three, the Father is quick to forgive, and he is gracious. He's quick to forgive, and he is gracious. I often feel like I don't measure up. I often feel that I don't know how God could love me, but he does. When we take that step, when we're in the pit, and we take the step home, he's quick to forgive, and he loves us. The Father takes it another step. He puts his family ring on the son's finger, his robe, which probably in our day would be a way of showing you're you're part of the family. He celebrates. He kills the fattened calf, which they would have been keeping for years. And he celebrates that his son has come home. Number four, this shows us that the father allows us to leave and he welcomes us home. He allows us to leave and he welcomes us home. There's an interesting piece of these three stories. This is the only one that you don't have someone going out and searching, right? The first one, shepherd. Second one, woman. Third one, nobody. A lot of scholars say the older son should have been the one that went and searched. In that, Jesus is pointing the finger at the religious people and saying, hey, church people, are you noticing? Are you serving? Are you searching for those that need to be reminded of who God is? The Pharisees in that they weren't. It was was an in thing. Here I am. You stay there. Now to here we are, come meet who Jesus is. There's an interesting boundary that God sets up. And I don't always understand why God would allow us to leave. But when he allows us to leave, we have the greatest picture of redemption, of welcoming home, of the Father's love. We see that the son goes from a filth-covered pig caregiver, totally separated and in pain, to someone that's part of the family, that is important, valuable, has purpose reinstated. I have a couple of challenges with this passage and I'm going to be a little vulnerable today. I have a couple challenges. One is that if we stop here, it ends really nice. It's all tied together. The family's all happy, uh, but that's not the life we live. We live in a broken, separated world. And for a lot of our families in here, um, you have felt this story all too real. You've maybe had this happen with a son or a daughter. Maybe you've been there yourself. Students, maybe you feel like you're there now. I'm challenged. As a church, we want to support and come around and love you, but I'm challenged. I'm challenged by a God that is loving, that wraps his arms around us. I want to feel that, but I don't always do. I want to feel the support of a perfect father from God the Father, but I don't always do. And These things challenge me. I'm also challenged a little bit. by the family dynamics, we all have different dads. I'm thankful for a dad that loves and cares and would give anything that his kids are healthy. But we don't all have that. We don't all have a father. And sometimes our fathers make mistakes. And sometimes we view God in that same way that we view our father. And that's really tough. I'd remind you today that, the, that God the Father loves us. He cares for us. He sees us as important and valuable. I'm challenged by the family dynamic. What happened a week later? Right? We're going to pick up about the older brother really briefly, but what happened a week later? What about the mom? What about the pain that she felt? What about their marriage that the father took him home? These are all things that we deal with and we face. With whatever you're facing, I'd encourage you to go to the father, be reminded that he'll receive you with open arms, and he'll give you hope. He'll remind you that you're important and you're valuable. If you want to find a new seat, feel free still. It's on the table. I'm hoping by the end of the weekend somebody will do it. Okay. Number five. He is personal and he invites us in. He is personal and he invites us in. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he said. Your father has killed the fattened calf. Sorry, vegetarians. Because your brother has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in the celebration. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, you, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. But you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. We're going to pause there. He's personal, and he invites us in. We begin to see a picture of this older brother. We begin to see that he's filled with anger, entitlement, superiority. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, highly recommend it, talks about this entitled anger superiority with joyless, faith, sorry, joyless fear-based compliance to the father. I would add here that the older brother didn't value people, didn't care about his brother. He only cared about himself. The older brother went so far to be so about the father's business to say, hey, I want your attention, that he missed out on knowing who the father actually was. I'm glad today that our God, our father, Jesus invites us in, and he's personal. For me, this is a challenge. It's easy for me to be about church stuff, God's stuff, but to miss on who the father actually is. It's easy for me to feel entitled to good church stuff and miss all the opportunities that are there to invite others in and bring them into this kingdom. Number six. He is always with us. He is always with us. We're going to finalize um, this story here. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he is now found. The Father is always with us. The power, the forgiveness, the grace is always with us. He is personal. He invites us in, He is with us. Whatever you're facing today, I'd want to remind you that God is with you. I'd want to remind you that just like this, the younger brother came home, wrapped the family robe around him, the price was paid. The Father said, You're good. In the same way for us, the price has been paid in who Jesus is. He says, you're good. When we put our faith, our hope, our strength in him, we find we are important, we are valuable, we are somebody. Both of these boys were separated from the father, but in completely different ways. The one, younger, didn't know him, going about life in whatever way he wanted to, missed out on the, kingdom of who the, on the father's kingdom. The older, all about God's stuff, all about father's stuff, His attitude got in the way, his calloused heart got in the way, and he missed out on who God really is. Don't miss out. Spend time with the Father. Spend time in prayer. Spend time reading the Bible. Spend time listening to music that teaches us who the Father is. Today, as I close, we wanted to build a little pocket of time that we can spend time with the Father. I'm reminded of the younger son who had to take that step to come home. I'm reminded of the older brother who was always home. I'm reminded of my draw for home. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden early on. And ever since, we've been longing for home. We've been longing to be reconnected to the father. In 2009, I have um, a, bro- a brother-in-law, John, who went and served in, our, in the U.S. Army as an airborne MP in Afghanistan. I'm humbled humbled. And I'm honored by his service. I'm really proud of him. Military men, women in this room, we're proud of you. We support you. We're behind you. We're honored by your service. I have another brother-in-law, Andy, right now, who's in Louisiana at Fort Polk. Just did a one-year tour um, in Korea. We're honored. But I think back to John. And I think back, he married his wife. He shipped off the war about a week and a half later. And he did a tour in Afghanistan and faced things we can't even imagine that he faced. As he was coming home, the whole family knew it. We got excited. We all got together. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, we all smashed into this little, in the little airport in Harrisburg. And we were anticipating John coming home. I remember standing there and John, we, we knew the plane had landed. And we're like, where is he? Where is he? And I see he begins to walk. He's in his fatigues, and he begins to walk, and I see him through security. And he sets his eyes on his wife, and he can't walk. And he begins to run. And he runs past security, He comes out of the gate, and he meets his family. He embraces his wife, and we all wrap around him. John could run because he knew how his family would would receive him. John could run because he knew his wife loved him, cared for him. We anticipated his return. Today for us, maybe we need to take that first step. We need to anticipate that God's going to receive us in that same way. With open arms, not judgmental, but like this loving father. And say you're part of the family.